Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Turn in your Bibles with Welcome Facebook Live, family. I almost forgot to welcome you this morning. Glad you could join us. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis, the second chapter, Genesis chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning about the principle of tithing. The principle of tithing. Yeah, I said that word, tithing. Now, don't let your money, your, your, your minds wander off to money. Although tithing has something to do with money, that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the principle behind the tithe. And uh, just in case somebody don't, you know, you're uncomfortable with this, I'm going to give you a five count. And you can hit the door. Ready? 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005. All right, nobody left, so you're mine now. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, and then we're going to skip down to 15 through 17. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. And then down to verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man that he formed from the ground in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. In other words, he put him in charge of his garden. But the Lord God warned him. He said, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except, say except, Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you shall surely die. So there were a lot of trees in the garden. But there were two particular significant trees that were strategically placed in the middle or the center of the garden itself. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or we could say... The tree of life and the tree of death, because that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought into the world was death. So there were no other trees like them in the whole garden, and that made those two trees unique. And I always wondered why God put those trees there in the middle or in the center of the garden in the first place. I can understand the tree of life, but not the tree of death. Adam and Eve were mortal beings that had to eat from the tree of life in order to live eternally. And that tree of life was placed in the center of the garden so they could freely eat from it and never die, just live eternally. And then uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was placed there in the center of the garden as well. I don't know if they were side by side or little ways apart, but they were both in the center of the garden. 
And that tree represented something that God didn't want them to touch. It represented the knowledge of the good and evil. And Adam did not need to know or have the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was brought into something that God created, which is a good thing. God, everything God creates is good. And so he was brought into that. He didn't know what bad was. He didn't know what evil was. He didn't know what death or sickness was. Everything was good to Adam. And Adam just had to trust God when he said, don't eat of this tree because then you'll gain the knowledge of good and evil, and I don't want you to have it. And so we'll read a little further, but I know for a fact that things would have been a lot easier if he wouldn't have put the tree of death there in the garden. Just the tree of life would have been great. Why did you have to put the tree of death there? And, uh, you know, it's that tree that caused all of Adam and Eve's problems. Or was it? I mean, if they wouldn't have ate of its fruit, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in right now. Yeah, but the tree had nothing to do with the mess that we're in right now. Let me show you why there had to be two contrasting trees in the garden. When God created Adam, he created him with something that's very dangerous, and that is free moral agency. He, he created him with the ability to choose. And so Adam had, he was not only smart, but the only area that he lacked in was the knowledge of good and evil. But he could have lived without that knowledge. Amen? Uh, and so Adam uh, is in the center of the garden, and he's with Eve one day, and he decides to taste of that tree. And that was the downfall of man. But uh, if God truly gave us the ability to choose, which he did, he definitely gave us the ability to choose. He made us a free moral agent. So he had to give us something to choose between. He had to give us something to make a choice over. And so that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He placed two trees there, and he said, you choose the tree of life or the tree of death. And then he warned them. He said, don't touch the tr or don't eat of the tree of death, because in the day that you do, you'll surely die. And so Adam had to have an understanding of death, although he never experienced it, never seen it. No animals ever died. No plants ever died in the garden. But he had, he had a knowledge of death because he knew what God was talking about when he said, don't eat it because the day you eat it, of it, you will surely die. So anyway, we had to have something to choose between, and that's why we had two trees in the center of the garden. God had to place both trees there in the center so that Adam could exercise that free moral agency, or I'll say the gift of free moral agency, the gift of choice. Adam had the ability to exercise it between the two trees. Uh, but God, being the loving God he is, he warned Adam, just like any loving parent would warn their children, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't go there. Don't do this, you know. Why? Because we want to be mean? No, because we don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see any harm come to our children. And God didn't either. But he had to place the tree there so Adam could exercise his free moral agency. So God always gives us the, the information that we need to make good choices. He even tells us sometimes what to choose. He said, choose you this day, life or death, blessing or cursing. And then he gives us a hint. He says, choose life. He gave us the answer to the quiz. So he not only gives us our choices or tells us, uh, what we have to choose between, but he tells us the right choice to make. 
just like parents would do. Well, there's two things you can do here. I think you need to do this. And, and you're doing it because you want them to do the right thing. So he told Adam, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat that, you're going to die. But death was only one of the things that that tree represented. And, and we're going to see that, at least in principle, it, it represented so much more than just death. God created man, gave him dominion and authority over all the earth. It started in the garden. He told him to tend it and keep it, guard it and keep it. In other words, he had to keep it safe. He had to keep it tended. And, and uh, he told Adam, in essence, I'm giving you the ability to choose. And as long as you choose wisely in the affairs of life, you will always have that authority and dominion. So in other words, keep choosing wisely. Keep choosing life. Don't choose death, and as long as you do, you will keep your dominion and authority forever. So to, uh, but even more importantly than death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented God's sovereignty. That tree represented something that Adam was not supposed to partake of. It's something that was reserved for God only. God was the only one that needed to know the difference or the knowledge of good and evil, the difference between good and evil. Adam didn't need to know that. He just had to trust God. And God says, you don't need to know this, so don't partake of the tree. And so Adam has to trust God. But to, mean, to be sovereign means to have supreme power and authority. It means to possess supreme jurisdiction diction over all things. So Adam had jurisdiction over all things except, remember that word except? except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's God's. He is sovereign. And sovereignty means that God can do anything he wants, and he doesn't have to answer to anyone. Not even you. Not even me. How important is sovereignty? Well, let me put it to you this way. Our country has always been sovereign. In other words, we are a standalone country. And uh, if, a country ever, if our country ever gives up that sovereignty by bowing to a foreign government or a, a, a foreign entity of some type, then we'll lose our sovereignty and we will become slaves to that government or that entity. And uh, so we must never become dependent on any other nation, any other entity. We must remain sovereign. We must make our own decisions for our own people. God needs to be the sovereign one over this country. And then our government, our, our branches of government, our, our constitutional setup of the government for this country uh, are just stewards of what belongs to God. And they're to work according to we the people. And we're to tell the government what we want. We're to tell our... You know, uh, just in the very name, these senators and representatives, they're representatives of us. And it's the people that tell them what to do. And when the people are right and the people are saved and the people uh, are doing what they're supposed to be doing, then they're going to transfer that to the government. And the government is going to know that they need to do what the people want or the people are going to vote them out. And somehow we've lost that in recent years. But I believe we're going to get it back. But we have to remain independent. 
Uh, we have to remain energy independent, financially independent, militarily independent. Because once we begin to rely on other nations, other countries, other entities for our fuel supplies, for our food, uh, for our military strength, then we're going to lose our sovereignty, and along with that, we're going to lose our nation. Do you see the danger that our country could be in? Selah. For those of you that don't know what Selah means, it means pause and think about it. You'll see that in the Psalms a lot. But sovereignty means nothing unless man recognizes it, acknowledges it, and knows not to mess with it because sovereignty means that's something that doesn't belong to me. And I ain't got no business touching it. I ain't got no business messing with it. And that's what God put in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree represented his sovereignty. He was the only one that had access to that tree. He was the only one that had the knowledge of good and evil. And he wanted it to stay that way, but he had to give Adam something to choose between so he says, you choose the tree of life or the tree of death. The day you choose that tree of death, you're going to die, and I'm going to ban you from the garden, and you're not going to have access to the tree of life anymore. You lost that choice. He had to give you something to think about. Amen? That tree represented that Adam had to understand that God was sovereign, Everything belonged to him, and whatever he gave Adam control of was only as a steward or a manager of God's stuff. It, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in it belongs to God. If you're enjoying a home, it's God's home. He just letting you be a steward of it. If you enjoy a nice car, uh, you're just enjoying that because God allowed you to have it. It's his. Well, how's it, guys? It came from the earth, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The metal come out of the earth, the, uh, whatever parts are in it come from, it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Your house, the wood came from trees that he grew in his earth. Everything belongs to God. And when you realize that and, and get that attitude in your head that everything belongs to God, and I'm just taking care of it, he's letting me use it as I'm being a steward of it, You'll enjoy life a lot better. Because along with that, along with God claiming that as his, he accepts the responsibility for it. Now, I know I'm talking about tithing today uh, because you're supposed to tithe to the church, as we'll see here in a little bit. But I don't care about the money because God don't care about the money. If we ever get to the place where we can't pay the bills, I'll close the door. And retire. There'll be no sweat off of my forehead, I'll tell you right now. This is God's responsibility. I sleep like a baby at night. I don't worry about paying the bills. If they don't get paid, I say, God, you got an electric bill waiting for you. you got, you're behind on your mortgage, and God takes care of it. And the day that he doesn't, we out of here. Amen? Amen? So I'm not concerned about your money because God ain't concerned about it. But that tree represented something that God consecrated to himself and told Adam as a test of obedience to not eat from it. I'd like to say don't touch it, but the Bible didn't say don't touch it. It just said not to eat of its fruit. 
But it represented that if Adam wanted to be blessed, then he had to recognize that God was in control and everything belonged to him, and he was only entrusting Adam with the garden and entrusting Adam with these other things. And by Adam acknowledging that, it represented the fact that he relied and trusted on God solely uh, and not on himself. So in other words, he knew God was responsible for everything, and he liked it that way for a while. It's nice to know somebody else is responsible. You ask kids growing up, uh, Ethan's getting to the age now where he's going to graduate high school soon. He's going to have to have a job. He's going to eventually be dependent on himself. But if you was to ask him right now, he said, I like it a lot better when mom and dad is putting the bills and, and mama and papa is taking me out to dinner and buying me things. Amen. He don't want that responsibility. And, and it's the same thing with God. I don't want all this responsibility. I want him to be responsible and tell me what to do. And then I'll do it. And, and I don't have to take on the stress. I don't have to take on the worries of things or the pressure. That's all his job. Amen. Amen. So uh, by Adam recognizing that tree and not eating from it, he was telling God, I recognize that, God. I like it the way it is. You know, you be responsible. But through that tree, God was telling Adam that, if he, did, that he didn't need to know the difference between good and evil. And Adam proved his trust in the Lord by not touching the tree or not eating from the tree. See, it's not that God was selfish because he wasn't. You know, it wasn't that God was keeping that tree to himself because he had an ego. He gave Adam all the trees in the garden. I don't know how many trees was in the garden, but a whole bunch of them. He said, they're all yours. I just want this one. Don't touch this one. And that seems to be the thing that we want to gravitate towards is the thing that we're not supposed to have. Amen. We still do it today. That's in our nature. Amen. Don't touch the stove. And that, the kid can't take his mind off that stove. But Adam had to be able to recognize by the choices he made that he understood that some things were consecrated to God and that he was not to partake of them or have anything to do with them. And God's blessings on Adam's life, I keep saying Adam because he was the one that was responsible. He was in charge of Eve. And uh, I know Eve ate the fruit and got Adam to take it, but Adam was the responsible one in that case. So we're, we're going to keep putting the blame where it belongs. That's on Adam. But his blessings totally depended on him recognizing God's sovereignty and Adam's obedience concerning the tree. See, we don't have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our backyard to acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty, but we do have other things that we can prove uh, our acknowledgement of his sovereignty through. And one of those things, just one of those things, is the tithe. Because God says pretty much the same thing about the tithe. He said, this is mine. You can have all the rest, but this is mine. Don't touch it. So God is demonstrating his sovereignty through the tithe. Don't hang up on me yet. People think tithing is all about the money, but that's the least important thing about tithing is the money. There is an underlying principle to tithing, and that's what I want you to catch today, and you won't catch it if you keep thinking about money. I want you to look at the principle. God told Adam he could have anything he wanted in the garden but leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone. God said we can have the desires of our heart 
but leave the tithe alone. Why? Because it represents the same thing the tree represented to Adam, and that's God's sovereignty. That's something that God said that would belong to him to leave it alone. It's something that belongs to him and him alone. And did you know that God had in the Old Testament tabernacle, he had perfumes and ointments that he had a special formula for him. And he told the priests exactly what to mix together and how to make these uh, oils and, and ointments and stuff. And then he told the, the priest, that's consecrated to me. Better not let me smell it behind your ears. Better not be taking none of it home to your wife for Valentine's Day. That's mine. If you want some ointment or perfumes, you make your own. And there was consequences when you didn't recognize God's sovereignty concerning something that he consecrated to himself. Remember the children of Israel? He says, go into Jericho, take it seven times around, scream, holler, the balls fall down, they go in, take Jericho. He said, all the spoil of Jericho belongs to me. It's consecrated to me. I want it to go into my treasury because I'm going to build a tent with it later. And, uh, and, and one guy, Achan, he decides he's going to help himself to some of the God, what God said. He took some gold and silver Babylonian garment and something else and buried it under the floor of his tent. So then it come time for Joshua to take the next city, which was Ai, a small little insignificant city with a small army. And that little army, that little city sent, his, sent the armies of Israel packing their tails between their legs. Why? There was sin in the camp, God said. And it was because Achan touched something that was consecrated to God that God told him not to touch. And he said, until you get that straightened out, you ain't going to have another victory. Well, anyway, they found out where, where, uh, who took it and where it was at. And then they not only uh, executed Achan, but they executed his whole family. So don't tell me the decisions that the parents make or the heads of the family make don't affect the family because they do and then once that was cleaned up the sin was out of the camp and God calls it called it an accursed thing he said because of what he took it become cursed to Israel and so but once that was out then uh, uh, Joshua had 28 conquests after that and God gave him the spoil of every conquest after that and that was a demonstration of I want the first fruits, and I'll give you all the rest. But if I don't get mine, you ain't getting yours. And that was a demonstration also of the tithe. So anyways, things can become a curse to us. Uh, We think they're a blessing when we get them, but if you get them through ill-gotten gain, they are a curse. They will become a curse to you. Leviticus 27, 30 through 32 says this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So that first, a tithe means 10%. And it means that in the Hebrew and in the Greek. But he's saying that the first 10% of everything belongs to me. It's consecrated to me. I consider it holy. And then he says, whoever would redeem any of their tithe or take anything from their tithe, they must add a fifth of the value to it. In other words, you want to borrow from my tithe? You have to repay it with 20% interest. 
That's nothing big nowadays. I mean, you got credit cards with 25% interest. But back then, 20% interest was, I mean, that was like a juice loan. God was like the mafia. You know, that was a juice loan. 20%? Yeah, forget it, man. I'll leave the tithe alone and not have to pay you back 20%. So then he says, every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord, consecrated, set aside for his use only. That's what he said about the tree. That's what he said about the tithe. As long as we give the tithe, we're recognizing God's sovereignty and that we are only stewards of what belongs to God. And some people say, yeah, but 10%, 10%, God's giving us 90%, 90%. So we're looking at it wrong. If all you're worried about is the 10%, you're giving back to him. He give you the whole hundred. He just wants his tithe back. He just wants 10% back. And it's for a reason, and we'll see that in a minute. But God doesn't want our money. He wants us to acknowledge the fact that he is sovereign and that we rely and trust on him. That's why he gave us promises concerning the tithe. He wants to know that we have given him control of our lives, and by proving that we prove that by giving the tithe and recognizing his sovereignty. See, uh, God wasn't worried about Adam eating that fruit and becoming knowledgeable or even more knowledgeable than him. That would be silly for God to think something like that. The day Adam disobeyed God's commandment and ate from that tree, he was telling God that you're no longer sovereign and now I'm in control. And along with saying that, he's saying, you're not responsible for me anymore. I'm responsible for me now. In other words... I'm the sovereign one around here now because I know as much as you do. <laughs> how foolish, huh? Well, we know how that worked out for him, right? But as a result of his disobedience, he lost his dominion. He lost his authority. And he brought the entire earth under a curse. And when those wild animals looked at Adam before that, they seen him as a person of authority that had dominion over them, and they obeyed everything that he told them to do. Now they look at him, and he looks like a big pork chop to them because they want to have him for lunch. That's how it changed when Adam says, I'm in charge now. God said, okay, pork chop. (laughs) But when we withhold the tithe, In principle, we're telling God the same thing Adam did, that you're no longer in control. We no longer trust in you and your abilities, but now we're going to trust in our own abilities. That's a bad thing to do, a bad place to do. Because when you do, you lose your dominion and your your authority over the circumstances of your life. Oh, you get some things done. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it all depends on this. But you're not living nearly the life that you could be living when you're putting all that responsibility on God, and he's the sovereign one. So if you're not tithing, you're telling God that you're trusting in your own abilities and not his. And again, quit thinking about the money because I want you to get the principle of this, and you're not going to get it if you're thinking about the money because that's carnal. It's a matter of God being in full control of our lives, being first in our lives. 
He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right. And all these things that we're working for and trying to gain and trying to hoard and trying to keep and putting in the, the, where, the, the storage house. We got so much stuff we got to put in storage houses. Storage houses are prospering. You want to invest money, invest them in storage houses because people want to keep their junk. Amen. But we don't have to worry about none of that stuff. God said he'll take care of us. And the principle behind tithing, this is what I want you to get, is recognizing that God is sovereign and you're not. You're recognizing that you're just a steward of what belongs to him and you're trusting in him to be your provider. And And the principle of tithing, as we just looked at, started in the Garden of Eden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But as you study the Bible, you'll see it's woven throughout the entire Bible, this principle of tithing. And even though he won't, don't always mention the tithe, the principle is there. And I know there's the argument that tithing was under the law, but that's not true. Tithing was before the law because Abraham gave a tithe of everything that he got. He gave it to a type of Christ, uh, uh, a king called Melchizedek. And he, he was a type of Christ, may have even been Christ in theophany in, in a physical appearance, but he gave him a tithe of everything that he got through the spoils of war. And that was before the law of Moses. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with that. And, and I'll be real honest with you right now. I'm going to tell you, you can't find tithing in the New Testament. But that don't mean it was under the law. Uh, there's a new way of giving under the New Testament. You say, well, Jesus talked about tithing. He said the religious leaders should tithe of their mint and anise and all of that uh, and, and not overlook the weightier manners of the lo- uh, uh, matters of the law like uh, faith and love and compassion. But here's the thing. That was in the New Testament in our Bible, but it was Old Testament times. Christ hadn't died yet. There wasn't a new covenant. There wasn't a New Testament. But in the New Testament, starting with the book of Acts and through the epistles and Revelation, you don't find tithing in the Bible. But he tells us how to give. He said, let everyone as he purposes in his heart, his renewed heart, his regenerated heart, his Holy Ghost filled heart. Let him give as he purposes in that new heart with a new nature. And I'm going to tell you, it's always going to be more than 10%. Amen. Amen. You'd be thankful for the tithe when you realize that. You say, oh, I only have to give 10%. Praise the Lord. No, uh, when you give out of your heart and your heart is right, you always want to give more than 10%. Yes. Amen. So let's not get hung up on what's legal and what isn't or the laws and this and that. But like with anything else in the word, we have to not only be obedient, but we have to be faithful in it. We can't just try something. We have to be faithful in it. And Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. What does that mean? He's sovereign. He is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So you not only have to have faith, but you have to be faithful. But God is the faithful God. There is no other gods. All we have to do is love him and be faithful to him, keep his commandments, 
and he will be faithful to what he has promised us in the word. And I'm telling you, we got a lot of promises in the word. But it's going to take faith and faithfulness to, to enjoy those promises. But there are rewards for the faithful. Faithful means to be trustworthy, stable, steadfast. It means moral fidelity. To be faithful means to be devoted and attentive to, to give constant attention to, to give unceasing care to, to wait steadfastly upon, to persevere. That's faithfulness. So we have to be faithful and have faithfulness in all the things, all the commandments that God gives us, and then we'll be rewarded. But what are we to be faithful to? Mainly the living word of God and everything that's in it. And in order to be faithful, we have to have faith. And what is faith? It's just simply what you believe. If you can believe something, you, you have faith. Amen. We won't complicate it. It's just that if I can believe something, that means I have faith in that. And, and the first thing that you must be faithful to is the word of God. Now, the difference between faith and faithfulness, faith is what you believe. Faithfulness is being true to what you believe. It's carrying it out. It's persevering. It's staying with it. It's trusting and acting on that belief that you have. So faith and faithfulness in itself does not bring all of God's blessings or fulfillment of the promises. Faith is a principle of the word of God that works in conjunction with other principles like obedience and love. Faith is great, but it don't work without love. Faith and love is great, but it don't work without obedience. So it's always something that it's, it partners with. And pastors and teachers will, at times, isolate certain uh, scriptures or passages in the Word of God based on principle for the purpose of making a point. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm talking about the principle. Because the principle is sometimes greater than the subject itself that's being taught. The principle behind tithing is greater than tithing itself. The principle behind faith, which is love, is greater than faith itself. So we'll highlight things just to make a point. Uh, like this morning, tithing, uh, the subject is tithing, but the principle behind it uh, is more important. It's, it, it has to do with obedience. It has to do with faith and faithfulness. It has to do with recognizing the sovereignty of God. Here's another example in Luke. Uh, we're still in Luke. This is uh, in chapter 10, though. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And so uh, we've isolated this passage of Scripture and and we've used it in relation to tithes and offerings and sowing and reaping and giving and receiving. And, you know, you get what you give and stuff like that. And, and we usually use it in conjunction with money during an offering or before an offering. And, and it sounds good, but if we read the scripture and interpret it in its proper context, you read before and after this passage that we isolated here. There'd be no question that Jesus is not talking about money or monetary gain. He's talking about forgiveness. 
Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measures, pressed down, shaking together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Woo, I'm going to give $10 and get 100 back. No, he's saying give forgiveness, give mercy, give compassion, and that will be given back to you in the measure that you gave it out. And he says be merciful, don't judge, don't condemn. In other words, be forgiving. And then it seems like he comes out of nowhere and says, given this shall be given. He didn't just change his topic and start talking about money like we try to use it. Uh, he's not talking about material things. Jesus is instructing those who follow him to give forgiveness in the same amount or the same measure that you want to receive it from God. Judge the way that you want to be judged. Be merciful to others like you want God to be merciful to you. Give that, and it will be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together by God. And I know it says in the King James, and men shall give unto your bosom, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Well, if you're, if you're forgiving a man, then you're expecting him to forgive you the same way. But it's, you know, is it wrong to isolate that and use that passage of Scripture for money or monetary gain or use it in an offering? Not necessarily. Because it's talking about giving. I know it's talking about giving forgiveness and mercy and judging right and all of that. But just in principle, if you give, it should be given unto you. So if I give money, it should be given unto me. If I give love, it should be given unto me. If I give forgiveness, it should be given unto me. And so it's not wrong to use it because the principle of giving is the same. Whatever you give, you're going to get given back to you. Amen? But that's why I want to talk about principle this morning. It's much greater than the subject itself. So this, uh, <coughs> excuse me, 16th chapter of Luke here uh, also teaches us the very first place that our faithfulness must begin. And according to the word of God, if we're not faithful in this one thing, then we'll not be faithful in anything. In Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, he says, now this is Jesus talking, so you can't get mad at me over it. He said, unless you are faithful in small matters, small things, you won't be faithful in large matters or large things. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. Uh, in other words, he's saying, you know, if I just had more money, I would give more money. No, you wouldn't. If, if, if you uh, had $100 now and only gave $10, then if you got a million dollars, you'd do the same thing. If you're, not, if you're not faithful in small things, you won't be faithful in the big things. He says in verse 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, money, who will you trust with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the two masters. That is the two masters, God and money. And he says, you can't serve them both. So you have to make up your mind. Who's sovereign, God or the money? So there is no doubt that, this, that money is the understood subject in this passage of Scripture. 
But there's also a principle here that can apply to a lot of things, and that's this. If you're faithful in anything small, any responsibility that is entrusted to you, then you will be faithful in anything that is large as well as money, which he called the least of all things. The least of them things is money. Of all the responsibilities that you could have, small and large, money is the least important. That's the attitude that we got to have. Money is the least important thing. And, and if you don't think that's true, you ask a millionaire that's got a terminal disease, ask him what's more important. Health or that money? He'd give it all. It's the least important thing. So the Lord is telling us that if we can't be faithful in that which is least, what's least? Money. If you can't be faithful in money, then he'll never commit to you the true riches of heaven. Why? Because you can't be trusted with that which is least, so you can't be trusted with that which is much. So what are the true riches? The things I'm talking about, the divine endowments of God, health and healing, the power of the anointing of God in our lives, the blessings of God, the favor of God, uh, divine health, the promises of God. These are the true riches of God's word. And out of everything in the word, he said the least important thing is money. Uh, I gave, I rewarded Tyler for his report card. I give him five bucks for every A, and then he gets a $5 bonus if he has straight A's. So he got the max this week. And uh, I, uh, I told Pastor Ed when I was handing him the money, I said, it's just money. You know, that's what it's for. And uh, I don't hold on to money very well. You can ask Pastor Ed. I'm, every time I get a few extra bucks, I think it's something I need. I don't know what it is yet, but I'll, figure, I'll know when I see it. <laughs> but if you're, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, which is money, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven, he's saying. So uh, we got to be faithful in that which is least, the money. And I'm telling you, of all the disciplines of life, Money is the hardest discipline to conquer. But if you can conquer the discipline of giving money, you can conquer anything. You can, be, you can discipline your life with anything. Why? Because money is the hardest thing to discipline yourself with. If, if, if money has got a hold of you, you will never discipline yourself to do pretty much anything else in the world. That's right. Amen. Because you won't have enough discipline to get it done. But if you got the discipline and money don't have a hold on you, you can conquer anything. Uh, you know, the Bible says that the, the love of money is the root of all evil. So it, it's not saying money is bad. It's saying that if you love money, it's going to lead to evil. So God is not against you having money. He's against money having you. And like Pastor Red always gave the example, you got to be a conduit, you know. God puts some money in here, and you let it go out here. But in the mean, meantime, you grab them what you need. But you got to keep the conduit flowing. you got to keep it open. If God puts it in here and you do this, yes. it stops the flow. Yes. God ain't giving no more. Amen? Yes. Keep it flowing. And you'll see a lot of money pass through your hands. A lot of money pass through your life. 
Yeah, Tyler too. <laughs> he uh, everything I, that report card money I gave him, he's already tithed on it, and he always tithes way more. Sometimes he gives half of it in a tithe. But anyway, uh, you know the principle here is that, and you can apply it to a lot of things. That if if you're faithful in anything small, you'll be faithful in the big things. If God can trust you with the small things, He'll trust you with the bigger things. If he can't trust you with that which is least, he'll never trust you with that which is much. Amen. Amen. So money is not the true riches, as some people think it is. As a matter of fact, the Lord said it's the least of all riches. So he wants us to be stewards of the good riches, the true riches of God. And how you manage your money is a degree to which he can entrust you the true riches of heaven. Amen. Amen. Can you see how much more important principles are than sometimes the subject itself? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, tithing applies, in principle, it applies to so many different things. And, and money is the least important of all the different things that it applies to in principle. The Lord said here that if you can't be faithful with money, with money which is the least in the kingdom of God, then you won't really be faithful with anything else. I know this makes some people mad, but Jesus said it. So it's got to be true. And, and what is the first thing the Lord told us to do in order to be faithful with money? <laughs> now you're really going to get mad at me. He said to tithe. That's the first thing you have to do to show you're faithful in money. When you tithe, you're recognizing his sovereignty. You're recognizing the fact that you're dependent on him, that you're seeking him first. And now it's his responsibility to add all these other things to you that you need. Amen. But you have to demonstrate faithfulness in it. This is not something that you can just try for a few weeks to see if it works. This is something that you have to persevere in, be faithful in, and, and apply it to your life in everything that you do. Amen. Pastor Ed and I have been tithing faithfully since 1984, whenever we started going to Zion. Since 1984, we've been tithing more than 10% faithfully. And we are at a place in our life we have never wanted for anything. Never. And, and uh, you know, even when gas prices were $4 a gallon, I always filled up my tank because I always had enough to do it. Amen. And that's the way God is. He gives you uh, enough for yourself and your needs and some left over to give to others. Yes. I not only filled my tank, but I bought somebody else a tank of gas. Yes. I not only filled my grocery cart and paid for it, I paid for the cart behind me. Yes. That's how God is. He's a giver. Amen. And again, it's like what Pastor S said, keeping that conduit open, keeping that flow going through me, going through me. If I ever do this and clench my fist on that money, it'll stop coming in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I got over the hard part, Pastor S. <laughs> Again, you know, the underlying principle of tithing is way more important than the money itself. Amen. Now, remember, money is the least important thing in the kingdom of God. But there is a principle to tithing that can't be overlooked if you really want to abound in the blessings of God like I was just talking about. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, concerning stewards, concerning managers of God's stuff, 
He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Again, it's their faithfulness. And if you want to be faithful and really enjoy the blessings that God gives to the faithful, then the first thing that you have to do is become a faithful steward when it comes to that which is least in the kingdom of God, and that is money. God's not concerned with our money, though. He wants you to have dominion and authority in your life. And and as soon as you stop recognizing the sovereignty of God and your dependence on him, you're telling him that uh, you're going to make it on your own now. You don't need his help. I'm going to make it on my abilities. And when I look at God, I'm saying, I got nothing, Lord. You got it all. I'm going to ride your coattails. Amen. That's how the whole picture of salvation works. You know, uh, it's not on my righteousness. I'm riding on Jesus's righteousness. My righteousness, my being good and helping people and uh, all the good deeds I do is not going to get me into heaven. I'm, I'm going to ride into heaven on Jesus's righteousness by accepting him, accepting his work. And that's the same thing it is with tithing. I don't want to make it on my own. God, I want you to be responsible for me. I like it better that way. If I get a problem, I just look at you and say, you got a problem. It ain't mine. Why? Because I put him first. You said if I put you first in everything, you'll fulfill all my needs. So all I got to concentrate is on you. Amen. Amen. But here, now write this down if you're taking notes. The principle of tithing is greater than the money you tithe with because that money is least in the kingdom of God. The principle of tithing is greater than the money you tithe with because that money is the least in the kingdom of God. And let me show you something else about the tree, and we're getting ready to close here in a minute. This is my first closing. In Malachi 3, 8 through 12, Now, again, pastors and teachers and evangelists, they use this concerning tithes and offerings and taking up offerings and stuff like this. And and there's nothing wrong with it in principle. But this is in the Old Testament. And he says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And then God says, in tithes and offerings two separate things in tithes and offerings and he says you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me so what happened to adam when he ate of that tree he was cursed with a curse because he took something that belonged to god he robbed god of that sovereignty so he says, even this whole, whole nation. Now, let me ask you this. Why would God say he was robbed if the tithe didn't belong to him? He wouldn't. And then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, God is not starving. Amen. He's talking about bringing the tithe into the local church so that there may be the word preached in his house. He wants to preach the word, and he has to have a place to preach it. The storehouse, uh, again, is the local church, and the food is the word. And and God wants wants a place that people can go and hear the word. Amen? 
And the tithe is what provides that place. This is how God chose to support the local church and support the ministry. And then he says, and try me now herewith, or prove me in this. Test me, says the Lord of hosts. Try you, test you for what? To see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. In other words, when you prove it by giving, by giving a tithe, he starts pouring. And then he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And not only that, but all nations will look at you and call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So tithing is designed to support the local church, but it's also designed to protect the tither's source of income as well. As a tither, God promises that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Who's the devourer? The enemy. Uh, uh, He's devouring anything. If he devours anything that belongs to you, it's because he's not rebuked. But when he's rebuked, he can't devour your stuff. He can't devour your fruit. Uh, And so, in other words, God says he will protect your source of income. If you're a tither, he will protect your source of income. And then he says, I'll pour a blessing that you will not have room enough to contain. And and it simply means that as a tither, you will always have enough for yourself and those that are responsible for you, your needs, and some left over to help others. It's having more than enough. And tithing is protection for your income. Remember that. Uh, The principle of seed time and harvest is to be your source for increase. See, you have an income, and that is guaranteed if you're a tither. God says, I'll protect that source of income. I'll give you an example. I've worked 56 years in my life, 57 years. My first full-time job, I was 15 years old. And I've worked ever since to the time I retired. And I have never been without a job except by my own choice. I have, especially since I got uh, uh, born again and started tithing, I have always had a source of income and it's always been protected. You can ask Pat. We worked together for 20 years. And and, uh, we were threatened to lose our job all the time. And I just tell Patty Wack, I said, our, our company owner doesn't know how blessed he is that we're working here. Because God's going to protect this source of income. I don't care if he has to give him more business or I don't care. But our source of income is always protected. And it always was. I never lost a job. Never, no company ever closed down on me. I, if I left the job, it was voluntarily. Amen. But now if you want your, your income to increase... Then you have to sow. Yes. And that's why he said, tithe, he said, bring your tithes and offerings. They're two different things. Yes. The offering is above and beyond the tithe itself. Uh, if you're to tithe 10% and you get, to, uh, you get $100 and you, uh, $10 is 10% and you sow $15, well, five of that is an offering. 
that 10% is designated, I can spend that any way I want to. I don't have to get your permission to pay electric bill, pay a water bill, pay any kind of bill. That is designated to the local church and keeping it alive. But if you give an offering, you can designate it. That's the building fund. If you give $5 to the building fund, I have to use that on the building fund. That's designated. And it's a seed that you planted, and God can prosper that, and God can bless that. Amen? So, uh, yes, it takes money to operate a church in this world. It's like I said, LG&E never once offered to, to skip our bill or anything like that. We always have to pay it, and that money comes from the tithe. And, and so uh, as stewards, we understand that we don't own it anyway. It all belongs to God. And uh, we're to manage what he entrusts us with and nothing more. And when we can understand this principle, then we will realize that God doesn't give to us, but he gives through us. Quit looking for God to give you something. Give, uh, look to God to give you something that will go through you to help somebody else. Because in the meantime, you get what you need. Amen? So uh, when we understand that, then we'll prosper like never before. All right, this is my second closing. What Adam did in the Garden of Eden when he disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit... He declared that to God that he no longer considered himself a steward, but that now he claimed ownership. And along with ownership comes responsibility. Amen? And that's why he had to work and earn a living from the land by the sweat of his brow and the toil of his hand and his back. And woman had to suffer in childbearing and had to become a slave to the man. All these bad things happened because Adam said, I'm on my own, God. I don't need you anymore. We don't want to do that. Because when he did that, the tree became to him a curse, and the result was a curse to all mankind and the fall of mankind. So the tithe is no different than that tree. It's something that belongs only to God, and when we touch it, it becomes a cursed thing, just like that stuff that Achan stole from Jericho. And no matter how much money we seem to make, and, and like I said, there are some things you can do in yourself. You can, you can get, get out and get a job. You can work. But I'm telling you, without your health, in two weeks, you'd be in the soup line. You'd be in the unemployment line looking for a check. Why? Because you're doing it on your own. But when God is responsible for you, then he'll get you through it. Whatever it takes, he'll see that your source of income is protected. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And uh, so we don't have to partake in the curse of the fall. So, uh, I mean, but it seems like when we don't have God as uh, sovereign in our lives, then uh, it just seems like it gets harder and harder for us. And it seems like no matter how much money we make, we need that and that much more to get by. Amen. And I'm telling you, when you... Uh, you know, Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, you could put a little bit of uh, leaven or what do you call it, yeast in a lump of dough and mix it up, cover it, and in an hour or two, that leaven is all throughout the dough. And that's a principle in the kingdom of God. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So when I tithe on my money, my whole lump 
The 90% that God let me keep is blessed because that tithe was blessed. So the whole lump is blessed. And blessed money spends a lot better than cursed money. It goes a lot further than cursed money. I've got two six-year warranty hot water tanks in my house right now that are going on 16 years. 16 years I hadn't replaced a water tank. That's unheard of. Uh, and that's because I bought it with blessed money. I buy a 60,000-mile tire for my car, and I get 80,000 miles out of it. I buy a light bulb that's supposed to last so many hours, I get twice as many hours out of it. And it's nothing I do. It's, it's just that it's blessed stuff because I bought it with blessed money. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Shoes. I ain't even talking about shoes. I got shoes that are 20 years old, and they look brand new. Still sitting in my closet. They just don't wear. I mean, I just, it's nothing magical. It's just that everything just seems to last longer. Amen? Hey, guy said this, and I'm closing for, for sure this time. Hey, guy, one, three through six. And this is talking about putting God first before you. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house of the Lord lies in rooms. In other words, you're building up your house. You're putting nice things in your house, and my house looks like a junkyard. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and set your mind on what has come to you. You have sown much. In other words, you invested a lot in your stuff. But you have reaped little. How many knows if you sow in a bad field, you get, you're not going to get a good harvest? You have sown much, but you have reaped little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages has earned them to put them in a bag with holes in it. So it's saying exactly what I said. It seems like. No matter how much money you make, no matter how hard you work, it's never going to be enough. It's like putting your money in a bag that's got holes in it. You're taking it out of the top, and it's falling out of the bottom. Had to get a new hot water tank. Had to get new tires prematurely. Had to make this repair. My roof uh, is wore out, and it's only 15 years old. It's supposed to last 30 years. And that money is just coming out the bottom of your bag fast as it's going in. And he's saying here, that if you would just put my house first, fix up my house first. And he says, I'll take care of the rest. And boy, he did. When we opened this building here, uh, some of you were, were with us at that time. I know, I know the Nichols were definitely here because Brother Chris did a lot of work in this house. And, and at the same time, me and Pastor Rhett was building our house in Taylorsville. Same exact time. And uh, so... There was a lot of things I neglected at my house because of the church. We came here and did it first, and God honored that. And as a matter of fact, we uh, moved in this place when we get in, in September and uh, finished my house and moved in my house in September. And that would have never happened if I didn't put this place first, if I didn't put God's place first. You know, I, and again, it's in principle. It's the principle of the thing. Uh, God would have still let me have that house. 
but I, I might not have gotten into it till next June or, some, or something, you know. But I put this house first, and miraculously, my house got done in time. And I, Brother Chris and Kevin was going back and forth with me because they they put in the heating and air in my house and stuff, and uh, then they were helping here too. This place was just, it was like a shell, remember? I mean, we didn't have that little house in the back. We didn't have... Uh, these walls here didn't have those two offices, didn't have hardly anything here. Yeah, this wall, well, we didn't do that when we first, this wall, yeah. This wall wasn't here. We uh, didn't have a uh, decent carpet on the floor. and We just did a lot of stuff here. And at the same time, I was building closets and painting and caulking and doing my house, you know. And But I, I'm telling you, I, I had that presence of mind to keep God first. This was more important than my stuff. And yeah, there was a drywall shortage. That was when I had Hurricane Andrew and all the drywall in the country was going to rebuild Florida and the, and the different states down there, uh, Louisiana and them that were damaged. And I couldn't get drywall or, a dry, or, or let me put it this way. Nobody else could get drywall and I got drywall. Amen. I got drywall. Uh, and uh, then I had to get a drywaller. And nobody wants to do drywall for one guy because, you know, they're looking for a builder that's going to get them 20 houses this summer or something. You know? So it's hard to get one uh, a drywaller for one house. I got him. Amen. And so there was just things that happened miraculously that wouldn't have otherwise happened if I didn't keep God first in my life. Amen. I got some more, but I'm going to quit. I promise I quit three times. So I'm done. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. I pray that nobody in here in my Facebook audience today was thinking carnally, thinking about the money thinking about the 10% they're going to lose rather than thinking about the principle of it and thinking about the 90% that they were going to gain as blessed money. Blessed money that would go further than cursed money would ever go. And the things they bought with that money, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, anything that money touched was going to be blessed, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you for your wonderful promises. But we recognize that we have to be faithful and we have to stick with it, and we have to be faithful in, in the commandments that you gave us and the things that you told us to do. And, Lord, we will certainly remember to never, never, never touch what belongs to you. We'll just wait for you to give us the things that you want us to have, Lord, and then we'll be sure to be good stewards and good managers of the things that you give us. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Touch and heal everybody within the sound of my voice this morning, Lord. And even those that know somebody that's sick that's in the sound of my voice this morning, Lord. Let's let that little leaven of healing leaven this whole lump, God, and, and go further than it's ever gone before, Lord. We send your word according to what Jesus did and heal them all. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. We appreciate you. Facebook, we appreciate you. If you've got anything out of this, hit the share button. And we'll see you Wednesday. 
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.